Hello, I'm Zev Neuwirth, and welcome to Creating a New Healthcare, a podcast series for healthcare leaders who are interested in fresh perspectives, new ideas, bold solutions, inspiration, and a renewed sense of meaning and purpose in their efforts to advance patient-centered, customer-oriented, value-based healthcare. Folks, you're listening to the first and only podcast series I'm aware of that is physician-hosted and explicitly dedicated to advancing value-based healthcare. If this is your first time aboard, welcome. If you've been here all along, let's, uh, let's set sail. Our focus today is on patient engagement. We are, uh, we're definitely going to revisit this topic numerous times in this series. I and many others consider patient engagement to be the holy grail of healthcare delivery. delivery. <clears throat> the literature would tell us that uh, patients, that is people's behaviors, uh, healthy behavior versus unhealthy behaviors contributes 40% of the impact in regard to morbidity and mortality. It is the single largest contributor or factor when it comes to determining our health and health outcomes. By comparison, clinical or medical care has a 10% contribution, our genetic makeup has a 20% contribution, and socioeconomic status contributes about 30%. So clearly, uh, behavior is the single largest contributor to our health outcomes. And uh, we know that patient engagement is critical uh, to um, to uh, patient uh, to uh, to uh, uh, patient behavior, and uh, also critical to success in dealing with chronic disease management. So, uh, so I think uh, I think I've made the point here of the importance of patient engagement, and we are indeed fortunate uh, to have a guest on the show, Devin Gross, who has been devoting his career to patient engagement. Uh, Devin started his career as a hospital administrator. He uh, worked at Cooper Hospital in Camden, New Jersey, part of the Robert Wood Johnson uh, Medical Center. He also uh, spent some time at University of North Carolina Hospital Systems as a hospital administrator. He uh, spent a decade at First Consulting Group, a firm specializing in healthcare technology, and he led uh, strategy projects for health systems and large pay organizations. Devin uh, joined Emmy which uh, he'll talk about uh, as their 10th employee about 14 years ago. And he has been uh, serving in uh, the role of uh, CEO for EMI. Uh, EMI was uh, sold uh, this past November of 2016 to Walters Kluwer. Uh, Devin continued on as the CEO until this past week, in fact, until yesterday, Friday, September 8th, which was his last day. And so uh, as of this coming week, uh, Devin is a free agent. Uh, Devin, it's uh, always a pleasure speaking with you, and I am uh, so thrilled to have you on this uh, on this episode of Creating a New Healthcare. How are you doing? Great, uh, and thanks for having me, Zev. I'm very happy to be on the oh, it, on the it's podcast. My pleasure. You know, Devin, um, I, I like to open up, um, and and we haven't rehearsed or anything, so so this is this is live and it's, and it's real. I, I like to open up with just asking a, a, a question that uh, is not uh, professional or career oriented or even about the topic. And you know, one of the thing that things that always strikes me, and I truly admire about you, is you, you are clearly a consummate professional and and dedicated to your work. But you also just have this really relaxed uh, sense um, of balance in your life. You're you're so devoted uh, to your family and oriented to family. Uh, I'm just wondering what what fun thing have you done in the last uh, few days with your family, or just something that's made you feel good? 
It's it's funny that you ask that, Zev. So we are we are twenty four hours into a new puppy here at the uh, at the Gross household. So the the my family, my wife, and three boys have a have a new addition, and everybody is uh, acclimating what, the puppy. What kind of a puppy and it's been is a lot it? Of it's a uh, it's a rescue. Uh, we think it's primarily wow. an Australian Shepherd. It's a real. It's a real. Oh, that's congratulations! Uh, we we've been there and and had a rescue puppy ourselves. So uh, I I, uh, I really admire you for doing that. It's it's great. We we love our dog Max. So uh, in fact, Max has uh, made some uh, unexpected appearances on this podcast uh, in the past. So <laughs> I. We, we may have some unexpected appearances as well. <laughs> if so there's some barking, we'll, we'll, we'll just roll with it. <laughs> so, um, so Devin, uh, you know, I am familiar with uh, Emmy, uh, but uh, some of our guests, or many of our guests may not. So be- before we get into some of the other topics, uh, more focused on patient engagement, could you, could you tell us a bit about Emmy? Uh, what do they do? What does Emmy offer? How has it evolved? And, and maybe, um, and I'll ask you about this, a couple of, of examples of, of actually how it, it impacts patient care. So tell us about Emmy. Yeah, so Emmy is a healthcare technology company that started with the fundamental belief that people, whether you're a patient, a member, a consumer, or an employee, were the most underutilized resource in the healthcare system. So very similar to the opening statements that you made. Uh, they wanted to be more involved, and historically they had not been given the tools to do so. And what Emmy has focused on for the past 15 years is the ability to deliver information to people in ways they understand comprehend and allow individuals to take uh, more control of their health care and really take the actions that um, providers and health systems and payers really uh, want and, and patients really need to take to better manage their care. So there's really two components of that. One, uh, we have a technology platform that allows us to prescribe, track, and document. What that means is, Zev, if we, if we gave you an intervention, we knew that you specifically got it. We knew that you consumed it. Um, we documented your experience, and increasingly, we're able to personalize that experience. On top of that sits uh, what I'll consider world-class healthcare information. So how do we prepare you for surgery? How do we uh, teach you how to inject your insulin? How do we tell you what to do if your diabetes, if your A1C levels are out of whack? How to remind you to make follow appointments with your doc? Um, and those, those, that content can be interactive web-based programs, it can be telephone calls, it can be print material, it can be a text message, but it is a, a holistic so integrated communication. So my introduction to Emmy uh, a number of years ago when I was still in Boston uh, working at Harvard Vanguard was uh, in, these, in the area of shared decision-making and um, the products you had then and, and, and still have were, uh, were sort of uh, video um, audio patient education tools. Some of them were around preparing patients for surgery or helping patients make decisions about surgery or procedures. So, so could you give a, a bit more of a closer to the ground example? If, uh, for instance, who do you sell this to and, and how would they use this or deploy a, a product or two of I any? Mean, just give an example of a product so people have a picture of that. Yeah, I think probably the easiest way to think about it is let's just take a, a healthcare condition and let's take um, we'll, we'll take mammography and, and early stage breast cancer and just kind of walk through that very quickly. 
So I think hospitals and health systems and payer organizations around the country uh, want their population of, of people to uh, get mammographies. And they often know who hasn't had the mammography, but they don't necessarily have cost-effective vehicles to reach out to them. So they may come to Emmy and say, here's our list of population. It could be a payer. It could be a health system. And say, here are the people we want in to schedule. They'll give us that information, and we will reach out to them with telephone calls, with um, interactive programs, and really talk about the importance of a mammography and encourage them to schedule. So that is the first thing we do. When we get them in to schedule the mammography, God forbid something doesn't look right and they may need a breast biopsy. The, the, the health system or the physician or the health plan will then prescribe a program that talks to the individual and their family member about what's gonna happen during the breast biopsy, why are they doing it, not to be afraid. Um, it's really just part of the diagnostic process. God forbid something doesn't look right there. Um, and it turns out that someone does have um, early stage breast cancer or later stage breast cancer. In this case, someone may have to make a decision of what's my treatment alternative going to be. And then we have a series of programs similar to what you mentioned around shared decision making. And how do we help people make, understand what their treatment alternatives are, understand what their values and preferences are, and help really guide them through or help them make a decision of what's most appropriate for them. If they're going to have, in this case, if they decide they're going to have a, a mastectomy, um, how do we prepare them for what's going to happen in the hospital? What's going to happen during the surgery? What's going to happen during anesthesia? How do they stay safe when they're in the hospital? And then we have a series of programs when they transition from the acute setting home. How do they um, remember to take their meds, to follow up appointment with their doc, uh, treat their wounds? So we have tools that cover the longitudinal component. Um, that, that cover population-based wellness or screening all through very serious, acute, episodic uh, procedures. And how would you and say, Devin, your medicine. products are different or better? or Because, uh, I, I mean, I've seen your products numerous times over the years, and they're, they're definitely quite good. So I think the quality of the conversation matters. So if you, if you come to Emmy, we have considered a little Pixar studio, and we have writers and medical illustrators and graphic designers and people that are really expert in human behavior and changing human behavior. Uh, so, so everything that goes into creating the message, you know, where do you take a breath? Where do you, um, what's the intonation you use in the conversation? It's really all about relating to that individual. There's no shortage of information that has been developed by clinicians for patients. And that's wonderful information, but often what the patient wants to hear and what's important to them may be different what the, than what the clinician is focused on. So let's take, um, I'm a surgeon and I'm going to do a knee surgery and I'll often talk, they'll often discuss, uh, where their incision's going to be made. And what the patient really wants to know is when can I play golf again? When can I carry my child again? When can I climb stairs again? And we really focus on incorporating that information so the information is relevant and meaningful and actionable to the individual. We often say it's kind of, you know, a, a medically relevant girlfriend-to-girlfriend -girlfriend conversation, and that's very differentiating from others in the market. Uh, the second component is it's multimodal. You know, it is not just print. It is not just a telephone call. It is not just text. It is 
these very, uh, we use all of those modalities as well as these interactive experiences that leverage voice, image, and text, and everyone's got different learning styles, and we reinforce all of that. And the third differentiator is uh, it all sits on a platform that allows us to track everything we do. And if we track it, we actually know are we delivering value for our clients. And that measurement of value is, uh, as, as you know from what you've done for many years, is really the holy grail out there. And there are a few vendors that are, yeah, that my are offering that specifically of, in the patient Yeah, my experience of your programs, you, you have sort of these recordings or avatars, and they're, they're you really like, you're sort of drawn into the way they talk to you, their intonation, like you say, they, they pause and they ask questions along the way to check if you're, you're, you're with them and which direction you want the conversation to go. It's, it, it is really sophisticated in terms of, like you say, it's more than the content. It's, it's really that engagement. Um, so you guys must, like you say, you, there must be a lot going on behind the scenes to create that level of sophisticated communication and engagement. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, we, we do a lot of focus groups. I'll, I'll tell a quick story. Um, we built a program around smoking cessation. And, you know, again, many people throughout healthcare history have tried to figure out the smoking cessation issue. And we brought a, a number of patients in, a number of smokers in. We showed it to them, and they said, this is awful. And, you know, the feedback from the focus group was um, they felt that um, it was condescending and, really being talked down to and the, the, whoever was narrating the program didn't know uh, much about smoking. And it turned out the narrator actually was a, was a past smoker and knew a lot about smoking and the struggles they were dealing with. And we, we threw out what we did and we rebuilt it, taking a lot of that feedback, um, got rave reviews from the next focus group. And that, that program's won multiple awards um, for, for the way that we've approached it and what we've done. So you know, really taking that voice of the the patient, or the consumer so of what's relevant to like them, you, and weaving in, it into what we're trying to accomplish. In is pivoting critical. that product, or not pivoting, but but in, in iterating on that product design, you were clearly incorporating the perspective of the consumer or customer. What and and empathy is sounds like you you really somehow in 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 the iteration built empathy into it. So what? In that particular case, what was the shift? What once you realized and got the feedback, what did you? How did you instruct the the, the person to to change what they did so that it it was you know they loved it after that? What, what was the secret sauce there? That that secret shift. You know, I think, uh, and now we're getting. Uh a little below my beyond my expertise, but 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 some key points that I know we uh, did there, and and empathy is a a key word um, mm. there, and and just the experience or the tone that I'm not telling you what you need to do. That it's it's you know one of the great issues with healthcare that it's the paternalistic um, approach that we've always had, right? I come to see the clinician and the clinician gives me advice and, and I take the advice and it's, it's, you know, unfortunately, uh, it's, it's been a one way conversation. I'm really looking up at the expert in this case, it was, you know, I've been in that struggle that you're in right now. And I understand that struggle and I understand the challenges of the struggle and I understand it's not easy. 
and let's talk about what's not easy and what we can do to get over it. That, and it was that no pivot question that, in, I mean, in, in that even hearing you program, say that, uh, I don't really smoke and I've never smoked, but even hearing you say that, I, I could actually feel myself relax knowing that the person who was giving that direction or instruction was was coming from a place of not scolding or educating or, or anything like that, but really just understanding and and just trying to help out a bit. So I, I could completely feel even your even it's interesting even your own voice as you told that last part of the story changed uh, from what I could tell. So um, that is that is a really amazing uh, that even telling the story about it um, translates in that way. At least it did to me as I was listening. So what, why is this important? You, you sell to provider groups and, and I assume to payers and uh, maybe you could say a bit about your customer, but what's the, um, what's the ROI? What's the return on investment? Why from both from a clinical perspective, clearly from a patient perspective, but also from a bottom line business perspective, why are people, why are customers buying this uh, for their patients? Yep. Um, so just to talk a little bit about the customer base, about 80 to 85% of the business is providers, which could be uh, physician groups, large physician groups, hospitals or, or health systems. Um, ME works with um, about 500 hospitals and health systems around the country. We touch about a million people um, on a monthly basis. We also, about 10% of the business is working with payers and uh, about 5% of our business is actually supporting clinical trial organizations in both recruitment and retention of patients. The value prop, and, and that's a it's, a it's a great question. My belief in healthcare, and I've been in healthcare for a long time, is unless you can articulate that you are going to help an organization increase revenue, decrease costs, or meet a rel- regulatory, regulatory requirement, you're not, if you can't do one of those three things, then it's very much a cocktail conversation. Organizations, and especially today, I think healthcare is in, in one of the toughest financial situations they've ever been in, and the ability for them to spend money on products is really tied to the value they're getting in return. So having said that, Emmy really needs to focus on what's the value that we can deliver and create, and increasingly, I believe that value is very much in, and I know this is near and dear to your heart, Zev, um, but if we're going to take care of, if we're going to move from episodic care to population-based care, if we're going to move from uh, fee-for-service and volume-based care to um, value-based care, then we need to treat people differently and maintain levels of conversation differently than the healthcare system has over time. And in an ideal world, we would like a human being, a nurse, a physician, a coach, a, a navigator, a coordinator, to have a one-to-one or one-to-few relationship with those people. And it's just not cost-effective and it's not cost-feasible. So our very hard ROI is how do you use technology, how do you use technology that can mimic that human experience, and how do you use that to maintain relationships with individuals over longitudinal periods of time, not just during the episodic moments, but throughout their lifetime. And if you do that and you do that well, you're going to see cost savings from a staff standpoint. You're going to see increased mm-hmm. clinical outcomes. You're going to see increased so patient I, satisfaction. It seems to be, and we're able to measure it, it, it all of those at different parts of the It has a value proposition both in the fee-for-service and the value-based care world. Um, the 
in, in I mean, we're still largely in a fee for service market. Uh, how do you, in talking to other CEOs, the, the customer CEOs that you speak to, what do you, how do you explain whether it's pre-op or pre-procedure or some other decision? How do you explain the the value proposition in terms is is it is it that they're going to save money uh, by using this? Is it, what is the, and 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 maybe then transition to value based care and what what that would look like? Yeah. 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 So, and, and as you know, and, and many of your listeners know, you know, the market's very schizophrenic right now because yes, um, it is still predominantly a fee for service or discounted fee for service world as, as they, as the shift to the future, um, occurs. So if, if I'm talking to a leader from a, in a, in a more traditional, um, reimbursement model, things that we can really impact and we've demonstrated time and time again is age caps. So if we look at the patient satisfaction, uh, impact and scores, you know, we've looked at over a hundred thousand patients at almost 40 organizations. Um, and those that have seen Emmy versus those that have not with statistical significance are, um, are always more satisfied and that's meaningful to organizations. Um, we survey patients all the time, um, on, did our interventions answer questions they would not have, uh, they would have called their doctor to answer. Um, did we reduce the number of cancellations? Actually, a study that we did, a randomized study that was controlled study that was done at Dartmouth, uh, looked at patients preparing for colonoscopy and those that saw our programs versus those that did not. And what they found is those that saw an Emmy program prior to a colonoscopy showed up uh, with less anxiety. Those patients with less anxiety needed less sedation. Those that needed less sedation recovered five minutes faster, or they were able to turn that's the rooms five minutes faster. That's a, that's a great study because they too. came out of the sedation sooner. And clearly, so you, see, you begin to see the triple you move into in a value-based care world. There. Uh, it, it has, I think, even even more of a value proposition and more of an impact. Um, you, you know, one of the just just to give folks a sense. I mean, I was actually astounded at the at the number of programs. Could you, could you just, how many programs has Emmy put out and, and how many do you do a month? How, how many have been prescribed just to give a sense of the size of that, of your impact? Yeah. So to date, um, so when we, you know, we started in, let's say we started prescribing programs or our clients did in 2003 to date, we're, we're probably North of, about 45 million that have been prescribed over time. Um, to give you a sense, it took us six years to prescribe our first million. Um, today we prescribe or our clients prescribe about a million every four weeks. And, you know, I believe Emmy and Walter's Clore going forward, you know, you'll see that number, number. to, uh, I think to decrease where, to, you know, millions you know, of people are being touched on, are, a, on a weekly basis uh, in the near future. So, so you're, Devin, you're, you're a, you're obviously you were the CEO for many years. Um, you know, you're, you're a business guy, you, you, you know, professional in that way, but you're also, you're actually a really big thinker. Um, and, and every time I talk to you, I really learn something. Um, you, you've spoken to me about something which I, I think is not really well understood. I'm not sure I actually had a, a good handle on it until I, I heard you talk about it, which is the difference between patient education 
uh, patient experience and, and patient engagement. And I know those are three big areas, but um, I, I would love to hear you say, and, and you probably have evolved in your thinking since we last spoke about this, but a lot, there's a lot that goes on right now in terms of focusing on patient education and patient literacy and materials. And, and there's a lot that's obviously clearly going on with HCAPs and in terms of patient experience and experience scores. And then you come along and you talk about engagement. And so could you give us a little bit of a map of, of how you see them being similar and how you see them being different and why that's important to understand that difference and what we should be thinking about in terms of focusing on more? <laughs> yeah, I so that's a it's a it's a great question and and one of my favorite topics to think about. So so thanks um or to talk about. Um you know, I, w there is a very big focus on patient experience and patient experience often gets down to where the rooms clean, were you greeted properly when you entered a facility? How did you feel about your interaction with the provider or the health system? And very important and very relevant, um, but it's often a, um, has less to do with changing the health status or health management of that patient or individual than it does with, did we as an organization provide good service and could we have provided better service? Patient engagement, in my mind, is really about empowering individuals to understand uh, their personal health needs um, and empowering them to most effectively manage their needs, either by themselves or in partnership with their providers. So when I define patient engagement, that includes things like reminders. How do I remind you to do something that would benefit you? So take your pills fill your meds, make a follow-up appointment with your doc. Um, how do I drive you to a call to action? You know, I'm getting close to uh, needing the annual colorectal screening. How do I make sure that I get over my fears and I get over the barriers and take that action to schedule and, and show up appropriately? How do I help an individual make a decision? So you brought this up earlier. What is the right treatment alternative for me? Should I have a mastectomy or should I have a breast biopsy? And education is one component of engagement. How do I give people information in, that they can consume and comprehend so they can make effective decisions? Often people want to give education because they're told to and they need to check a box. You know, it, it seems but, to but me our objective here is really are we empowering individuals to be active like participants you say, it's about in customer care. Service. And that's what it's, true engagement is. It's about really me is. as the provider. You're you're reflecting about me and and I'm the one that's going to take the action, whether it's the office, uh, uh, you know, a provider office and ambulatory setting uh, or it's the hospital setting. It, it, again, it, it is about it is about the provider side, the supply side, whereas engagement it seems is really about the patient or the person being the active one, the activator. And so they're, they're two, they're not even close. Uh, you know, as you've described to me, I, in my mind, I actually see two spheres that are, are just completely different. Engagement is really about the patient person, 
like you say, being empowered and being active. And importantly, with, especially with chronic disease, you know, outside of the domain of the hospital or the uh, medical office. Is that, is that, am I tracking with you there? I think that's beautifully said, and, and I'm actually going to steal that from you the next time I, I, I give this, because, because I think you're right. I think um, you're definitely right. Experience becomes very much of what and, what and, is the you know, provider organization too. or the so, provider themselves that change as opposed to engagement is what's um, the responsibility of that patient the and what can they is, do. So am I, I responsible was, for my patient? Summation. Look, I tell the patient to go take blood pressure medications or go get their colonoscopy, uh, uh, you know, or, or, or exercise or watch their diet, but is it my responsibility to engage the patient or, or create patient engagement? Isn't it their responsibility? And so what do you, what do you say? What would you say to providers about that? Yeah, I, I think that's, uh, I think that's, a tough question, and it's a, a valid question coming from providers. Um, it, whether you're a provider, whether you're a salesperson, whether you're a customer service person, I think financial incentives drive behavior, um, wh whether that we want that to be the case or not. And I think financial incentives have historically been driven that um, providers, even if they wanted to focus on on those issues when the person's not in front of them, the incentives not have, have not been aligned for them to do so. And, you know, whether it's the reimbursement models or um, the, the structure of, of the health systems, um, they have to treat the episodic moment in time and, and, and the, the economics don't work out for that broader, broader focus. I think as this shift occurs, as the healthcare transformation occurs, as um, a shift towards value-based care, the incentives, the financial incentives change. And I actually think providers want to have that holistic view and they want to have that holistic relationship with their patients. And mm -hmm. over time, mm -hmm. and as, as this transition but, but occurs, they'll be able to have said, more than, um, than they have. Shift, but I think as, as going back to and maybe, we maybe talked about probably five to 10 the minutes ago, actually becomes um, it's a schizophrenic more market. More of a responsibility or accountability for the providers as we shift to a, to a value-based care world, it, it, is, it is about patient engagement, it is about patient activation, it is about patient or people behave, their behaviors. And, and so I, I do think like in any other industry, I mean, when you're selling something, you know, you can't, you can't turn to your boss and say, well, you know, the customer didn't wanna buy this, that's your job, right? I mean, and so, right? And so it seems like, from what you're saying, especially that shift, it, it seems like engagement in some sense is our job. Uh, and, and, and whether it's the provider or someone else on the team or the system, uh, I, I've, I've heard you, um, and I'm really fascinated about this, I've heard you say um, something about patient engagement is, is really closer to the consumer, the relationship that a consumer has to a brand than it is to education, which I, I find that fascinating. I, I'm trying to understand that concept. That could you could you tell me something about that?
Yeah, no, and I, I, I think that's um, something we at Emmy have been very focused on for the past several years. And, you know, if we, if we were able to survey your listeners right now and ask your listeners what consumer brands they have affinities for, my guess is very few of them are going to tell us their hospital, their provider, or their health plan. Um, and, and most, as when I've done this, you know, when I do this with groups often, we hear about Nike or we hear about Apple or we hear about Lululemon or we hear about a consumer brand that has really done a very nice job of um, personalizing conversations for their consumers, making those conversations very relevant and meaningful at the time and driving uh, very targeted action for them. And all of those things are things as we move to value-based or population-based models that are very important. So would you want to have a conversation with a first-time mom different than a third-time mom? Uh, would you want to have a conversation with um, you know, a, a, a mom covered by Medicaid in an urban area um, different than a, a, a mom in, in suburban America? And the answer to all of those is probably yes because the needs are different. The support structures are different. And how do we tailor that so it's a very relevant conversation? And we've spent the past several years at Emmy building out an infrastructure that allows for that personal dynamic conversations based on the information we have, either self-reported or data that's already in the data analytics systems that are able to identify that. Mm -hmm. um, and it, and it well, changes the nature of the conversation, and it changes the nature of the, the relationship of between the, other, were, the, the provider and the patient. And the only way to cost-effectively do it is effectively to using technology to do so. Yep. Uh. The The... The brand is um, the how I started off with, um, you know, who who do people have an affinity for? Yeah. So, well, I think increasingly, and and I talk to our clients about this all the time. Um, increasingly, there are lots of people trying to disintermediate the relationships between the providers and the hospitals or the or the physicians that they've typically worked with. So, I live in Chicago. And probably within five miles of my house, there are multiple minute clinics and target clinics and um, urgent care centers and others that have, you know, what you would traditionally go to the my physician for. There are many people trying to prevent me from going there and being an intermediary in that relationship. And that strengthening of brand and that connection with the brand is very, very important and relevant. And for healthcare organizations that have for years counted on people. Um, I have an episodic event. I'm going to show up at the door and I'm going to get that episodic event treated and it's going to fill my beds and it's going to uh, fill my I, appointments. I think there's Those models are so changing and they're changing rapidly. And the ability that you've shared with me, and the need to establish uh, cause, cause and develop I, I know those that, brands, that brand relationship I mean, is critical. You, if you had asked me about, um, as, about as we engagement and, and put education next to it, I would have said, sure, they're, you know, they're really connected if you educate, you'll lead to patient engagement. I, 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 I think um, my where my thinking is now is if you create a uh, consumer brand relationship that is robust, uh, you're far more likely to uh, create engagement and activation uh, on, on patients' parts uh, much more powerfully than if you 
try to educate people. And that's, um, I don't, I don't even see that as a, 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 um, subtle point. Uh, it is such a stark coming at it from completely different, uh, directions. And, and quite honestly, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm a big fan of patient education, but, um, you know, we've been trying to educate patients for decades. Um, and, um, I don't, you know, I don't know that that is, I think that's part of it. I mean, education is clearly part of it and people are increasingly good at, at, at obtaining information and, and the content is, is, is a, is a necessary part, but, um, it's not sufficient. I think we've learned that lesson or we should have learned that lesson. And I think what you're, you're saying is maybe let's think about it uh, a bit differently and come at it from a different direction if we really want to engage patients. Is that, yeah. Yep. No, I, no, absolutely. Um, but that, that consumer, that relationship between the individual and, and, and the I health do, system I, and the I providers in the health system your, and, and how they think about the that as, you know, uh, cradle to grave uh, relationship. And what does that mean? What does that conversation have to look like? It's much different uh, that relationship like going forward than it has been. And, um, so I think you're I, absolutely I don't, right. My gut is my intuition, and clearly I have a bias towards the provider side, but my intuition is that's not the way to go. Um, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I, I, I mean, do you, what do you think? Yeah, no, we, um, I, I've made this statement at Emmy many times over the past couple of years, but for the fragmentation of the system and the transformation of the system, if I were going to bet on winners and losers, I would bet on the providers. Um, now the providers are going to have to shift the way they do things, which I think, you know, we, we all agree. And the way we looked at Emmy and the way that Walters core looks at it is how do we what do you, um, providers tools? Yeah, we're talking to about, about as, engagement and, and patients uh, effectively and the relationships here. As possible, how, allow do you, them to, how do you see the, um, kind of strengthen the relationship they the have role and prevent patient, the this whole idea of so patient and I, I consumer we're talking about patients we're using different words consumers and i know a lot of people bristle at that or don't understand that uh, you know it's not a it's not a consumer it's not a customer it's a patient but how do you see this role how do you shifting as as healthcare changes what 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 are we as i mean we're people we're but we're patients uh, you know how do you see us changing in that regard Yeah, so I, you know, I, I debate this all the time as well, and it's it's a it's complicated. But my view is, we're patients at moments in time. We're not always a patient. We're patients when we're under treatment, um, but we're primarily well. We're, we have different states, right? We're fathers. We're children. We're consumers. We're um, employees. We're members in a health plan. So we actually have multiple personas. And those personas are relevant at different times. And a patient is, in my view, a temporary persona. And very much of our healthcare system is designed to worry about when we are a patient. When increasingly, I think um, 
the winners and the losers are going to figure out how to engage people when they're not the patient at that moment, when they are in another persona. I, I love and that. They're not phrase, thinking about their health care the and we need them to. I wrote that down. And that the transition is, is a very temporary. And that persona. gets a little bit back to the and conversation so about the consumer. You're right. Brands. When I'm a patient, I'm a patient they, for they a limited amount of time more in, than, in a very limited um, circumstance, right? It's in the doctor's office, it's when I'm in the hospital and I'm in the OR when I but most of the time, my persona is not the patient persona. You're, you're absolutely right. Uh, I never really thought about it. Most of the time, it is, um, it's really the customer-consumer persona. And, right? and, and it's also when I'm out, like today, I'm out and about, and um, you know, I, I'm debating after speaking to you, am I going to go to the gym or not? Uh, that's, that's not a patient persona. That's right. I mean, Right. So we, we have to just kind of tying what we said a few minutes ago. No, that's absolutely so we, right. On the but that, has, side, that decision has, I, I think we're obliged as much to, or more to be accountable and responsible on your general state of being and healthcare. Than, but maybe it's not when you're in that patient not persona. Patient so I, I think that's maybe we too, as part right. of our thinking, have to start to think as you're, you're introducing this, this concept, the idea that the patient has other personas. And so, yes, you, you deal with the, the patient persona and there's some requirements clearly around that in terms of safety and, um, and, and quality of care and service. But then for the customer persona uh, or your client persona, you have to develop other skills and other capabilities that, in fact, lead to customer engagement. Uh, and and, and if, you're, if you're not thinking about that as a provider, especially as we move into a value-based care, care world, and, and if your competitor is thinking about that, and if they get successful at that, um, you know, there's going to be a, a swishing sound of people and, and money going to your competitor over you because they're going to get the the results, especially in, right? Yeah. Wow, that's really cool. I, I love that, that, that thinking about multiple personas. And so, and it doesn't conflict. I mean, I don't think physicians or providers should bristle at that because they're still the patient. You're not negating that. You're, you're just absolutely right. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I really love that. Thank you for that. Um, what you talked a little bit before about, about your customer base, uh, when, when, as you were the Not CEO of Emmy, no. largely around providers, uh, some payers, I don't know if you mentioned, I forget if you mentioned employers, but what stakeholders, um, should care about this, what we're talking about it, what what are you finding in terms of the um, ch challenge of that, what, what your large customer base of providers, and, and is that an easy sell? Is it a hard sell? Is it becoming an easier or harder sell? As, as You're right, we're in a schizophrenic time, but we're also in a time of, of some cost-cutting and, and, and um, just the, the, the amount of money being spent in healthcare is huge, and the pressures to decrease that are huge. So what, what are you seeing? And, and, and our employers, are, are you thinking maybe you should go after employers or, or payers more? What's, what's the customer um, scene look like? That yeah, no, it's uh, that's a great question. And it's, uh, it's, it's a hard one to answer. Um, 
So we, we have not gone after the employer. Um, and, and I think what we've done well at Emmy is we've acknowledged what we know and what we don't know, and we don't know the employer space. And it's a whole different conversation and a whole different way to go after them and uh, a whole different offering that we don't have. So we do not go to the employer directly, although we work with other vendors that will embed our solutions in their, in their offering. Um, when you look at a provider, and, and my next statement, I, I mean lovingly without any, any uh, insult meant, but when we started this 15 years ago, no one really cared, right? No one really was focused on the patient. Uh, when we talked, not that they weren't focused on the patient, but patient engagement, um, I think everyone believed they were doing it, right? And they were doing patient education and, and that patient um, engagement was easy. And I think that, that, that thinking has evolved and changed over time. So our business has grown consistently. Our business has grown consistently with um, people that in the personas in the organization that focus on that people that are responsible for patient safety and quality, realizing the patient could really contribute to that if we engage them, uh, the individual responsible for uh, patient satisfaction, knowing that if you know we better engage them, they'd be more satisfied. Increasingly, who's ever responsible for new models of care. Um, so people with a very myopic view of just the four walls of the hospital aren't terribly interested in Emmy. Emmy's value really looks at, if I'm going to look at all of the components of so the ambulatory environments, touching people when they're home, and look at the inpatient or the acute as just one more step in that continuum, and then the transition. So people with those broad, holistic views have, have typically been the best buyers for Emmy. I think um, what I like to say is for the 15 years that I was at Emmy, we were in the demand creation business. We were not in the demand fulfillment business. So I would say that hospitals and health systems around the country over the past 15 years have woken up and say, we need solutions that do this. Um, but as we've engaged and talked with them, you know, they've, they've seen the value. I think the market is beginning to shift to a little bit more of demand fulfillment, which means people know they need this and are beginning to look for solutions. But as you mentioned, um, I think the uncertainty at the federal level, I think, um, uh, the that's, that's uncertainty so with financial status or state of many organizations so right now. Um, the idea of really it is engaging, as difficult a conversation as we've ever had, and our ability to as, as a, uh, articulate and demonstrate ROI is, is and as and important and really as ever. doing healthful behaviors. Uh, and, and you said before, I mean, that study, I think you quoted at Dartmouth, right? It's where you see it actually has very concrete gains in terms of efficiency and effectiveness and productivity and, you know, in probably on growth. And so, you know, it, it seems like it's such a, essential, clearly the right thing to do for, for, for people as patients and, uh, and consumers, but it just seems like it would be the right thing to do for providers as well. Um, I don't know. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I, I think, and I um, increasingly, again, we're, we're in more and more organizations, more and more organizations are, are looking at it. I think you and your listeners can all attest, though, that, um, you know, investment dollars are, are difficult. And, and 
and and I think I'll go back to something you and I talked about a, a, earlier in the in the podcast right. here. That's such a the, I think that's such a great point. I think, it, I think there's still you know, a general if, if misunderstanding a of the difference between education, program, engagement, and experience. You're going to look at at ME, um, and if that's and, not understood, and say, oh, we have that, that delineation. That many organizations may think they have solutions that are addressing problems um, they may not. Right. Be so yeah, that's a really place. good point. You know, I'm gonna. I'm going to, if you like it, I'm going to give you the opportunity. I've, I've heard you talk a little bit about healthcare reform and, and why it's so important. Um, if you want to take a, a minute or two, um, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to give you a little bit of airspace to talk about that, um, or, or we could pass. I'll leave it up to you because I, I know you've, again, you're a big thinker and, and you've, I mean, you've been in this, uh, you know, in this game, uh, you know, up to your your neck in it and, and really understand it. You've rolled up your sleeves. Um and uh, so do you, do you want to say about a word about where we are in this transformation? And, and Yeah, no, I think I appreciate the opportunity. So thank you. <laughs> um, you know, when we talked about this a few weeks ago, I think I started our conversation with, uh, you know, I, I think it all goes back to the founding fathers of is it uh, is every person in the United States entitled to life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness? And then the next question there is, is healthcare included or not included? Um, and is healthcare a fundamental right or, or not? And often in we've... Uh, We've treated it as a right, um, but it defies the law of economics, right? The law of economics is allocation of scarce resources in a market economy. And healthcare has not been treated according to the law of economics because we don't treat it like a scarce resource. And if we don't treat it like a scarce resource, it, it, the, the cost management of it and the cost containment becomes mm -hmm. extremely difficult. And I think that's the state that we're in right now, um, that, Cost increases, um, much of it being, um, and I, I wear interesting hats here, right? Because I'm very committed to the healthcare system, but I'm also, or I was a, a, a small business or an employer, and, and much of the healthcare benefit costs are covered by the, the, the business community today, and that's you know with the rising cost that becomes increasingly difficult um, to absorb and consume. So. I think everybody, no matter what side you're on, um, probably agrees the current model is not sustainable. So then the question is, what's next? And you know, I think that's that's what you're focused on in in your writings and your podcast. Um, that something's got to something's got to give a bit, um, and we have to look at how do we improve the quality, um, and how do we change the incentives and how do we contain the costs and containing the costs and improving the quality are not mutually exclusive. In fact, I think changing the incentives can do unbelievable things to improve the quality and change our focus around uh, treatment to prevention and uh, move away from episodic acute to focus on um, how do we keep broad populations of people engaged and healthy and, and moving forward. And you know, I think we're in the early stages of this, and I think we've seen some 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 great wins and some great changes. Wow. But so, as, uh, as we've said a couple of times yeah, you, here, you, it is very difficult. 
and this is why I asked you about the employer issue, which all these organizations do today. As the old CEO, well, you're preparing for the new model because the the incentives are very different in the two models, and and that's holding us back a little bit. You were saying that you're, you know, second to. Paying your, in terms of paying every month, you're, you're the people who are working, the employees, the second biggest check you write is for health care, right? So, yeah. Just under 200, yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's absolutely so. And, uh, and I think, of course, you. I don't know if that um, if the figure is still true, but I used to hear that you know your, Ford Motor Company uh, spent more on really health benefits than they did on steel. I've got um, so many more. And I think there's you, probably examples you, across um, that across all industries, so and it's just, um, uh, you know ended one part I, I think of your career. It's not sustainable. You've done a great job at Emmy uh, over the past few years, and, and really taken it to a different level, and uh, clearly should be proud of that work and proud of the work that Emmy does. What, uh, if you could be anything or do anything, what would it be? What's, uh, what's Devin Gross, uh, what's, what's, what's your superpower, man? What, what, what's your super goal? You know, I've what I'm close to 30 years in healthcare right now, so I'm I think I'm hooked. Um, you know, what's the what's the the superpower would be addressing a lot of these healthcare reform issues that that we talked about. I think the I don't know what's next for me. I think one of the things is looking at um, where can you really go in and and begin to make a difference or demonstrate a difference, whether that's on the vendor side, whether that's on the investor side, whether that's on the provider side. I think there's a lot of opportunities out there. And I think uh, as frustrating as it is right now, because I think there is some paralysis, it's also probably the most exciting time uh, that we've ever had from a healthcare transformation standpoint. And I think it will be exciting to just continue to be part of that. I think initiatives like well, you're taking Devin, on this uh, podcast you, of you've really got a lot um, to offer. creating um, a broader dialogue, you may not, which is uh, the first thing that I think needs share to happen, your um, with us, will but, generate uh, lots of conversation, will generate bring, lots uh, of ideas, so looking, and I think we'll I am see truly looking forward increasing to, uh, to, uh, discussion and embrace of, and of change, How you will be exciting. Get back into healthcare and uh, what role you can play. I'm, I'm really excited about it for you and and for the rest of us. And just want to thank you sincerely. It's it's just so much uh, fun. It's just such a pleasure to talk to you. I feel so uh, so encouraged and motivated after speaking to you every time. And uh, so I just want to thank you. And um, and I want to thank our our, our guests who are listening uh, to this podcast because. Uh, they're the folks who are out there doing the hard work each and every day of uh, caring for our patients and creating a new health care. So, so, Devin, thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Take care. Thanks for having me. It's been great, and I appreciate the invitation.